Welcome to Multifamily Live. I'm Kaylee Arusi. And I'm Jason Arusi. Our mission is to help you unlock your full potential as a multifamily real estate investor. So you can do more deals, bigger deals, with less stress, keep more profit, and free up your time. Multifamily doesn't have to be a mystery. It's time to go live. All right, so welcome back to Multifamily Live. Super excited for today's guest. He has been waiting patiently as we've gone through our our plugs and plays as we do sometimes on the Zoom side of it. But James Ng is our guest. Welcome, James. How are you doing? Great. Thanks for having me, Jason. Thank you for being with us. James has over 15 years of experience in commercial real estate lending, starting his career as a loan underwriter at GE Capital Real Estate prior to joining Old Capital in 2015, where he's currently the national director. He's worked on hundreds of investors to help them acquire over $1 billion, yes, with a B, in multifamily properties totaling over 14,000 units. He combines his finance, risk, and investor background to find the best loan for his clients and be an indispensable advisor throughout the life cycle of a deal. And he's often called the professor of multifamily financing, right? I need to get myself a, a, a little uh, name like that, right? But he's produced hundreds of hours of educational multifamily content on YouTube. In addition to financing uh, multifamily, he's invested also in close to 10,000 units as a limited partner in nearly 30 properties in Texas. So as you can imagine, he is in Texas. He received his finance degree from the University of Texas at Austin and resides in Dallas, Fort Worth with his wife and three boys. So welcome, James. That's fantastic, man. There's so much that we can unpack there. And as you've grown into this role, right? So, so being there from 2015, how, how did your start, right? Starting over there with, with GE Capital, how did that prepare you to really take on the role that you you do today? Yeah, I mean, at, at GE Capital, really, I started sort of on the corporate finance side. So I was sort of like the CFO of their real estate business. And then I sort of wanted to figure out, all right, how do we actually make money? And we make made money at GE Capital really by two things. One is we gave out loans, bridge loans and CMBS loans. But then we also were on the equity side of transactions. So from 2000, I would say 2007 to 2015, I was on the loan underwriting side. And so what that meant was every month I got a new deal. It could have been an office deal, a retail deal, self-storage deal, multifamily deal all over the country. And my job was to figure out, should we give a bridge loan on this transaction? And so I got to see a lot of uh, broken deals and figure out ways that the sponsorship group was going to put it back together. And... Um, some of those deals worked out, some of them didn't. So when the financial crisis hit in sort of 2008, 9, and 10, we got to take some of those deals back where the borrower did not execute the plan and uh, we became the new owner of those properties and we had to figure out the plan. So it was, it was a great sort of underwriting background, loan background in terms of structuring. And then when I moved over to Old Capital in 2015, Really, that was because Blackstone came in and bought our entire platform. So we thought we were the biggest fish in the pond. We had about 40, 50 billion in commercial real estate throughout the U.S. And uh, Blackstone came in and bought it all. So um, they came in and said, uh, we don't need any of you guys. Uh, we're just going to buy the whole portfolio and run it ourselves. And so I found myself sort of after 10 years at GE Capital, really just saying, all right, what do I want to do? And um, pretty much I started looking at multifamily investing. And everywhere I went in Dallas, Fort Worth, um, I saw Old Capital. And so I, I had a had a lunch with uh, Paul Beebles. And, uh, you know, six years later, here I am. 
That's fantastic. Yeah, I've been on the podcast with Paul before, just fantastic guy. And, you know, I, I, the, the thought that comes to mind is sometimes things that are perceived as a setback are actually a step forward, right? And so you move into your process here. You start in 2007. Of course, we have so much that you talked about just in terms of financial crisis and others. How has that, seeing that as you've gone through the process, prepare you for what has been the last, you know, 12, 14 months and then what's going to carry forward? What, what, what do you look at differently um, than you may have been looking at in 2015? Yeah, I mean, what's funny is even our chief risk officer at GE Capital, um, the two asset classes that he hated were hotels and retail. And um, it's not that you can't make money in those deals. It's just he, he just he just basically uh, put a red box on red strike through all those. And I mean, you can see just in this last recession and the COVID hit, uh, hotel and retails just got punished. And so when in 2015, when I was looking at, all right, what am I going to invest my money in? Um, I really came to the conclusion of I'm going to look at multifamily and I'm going to look at self-storage. And the rationale behind that was really, we didn't take back any of those properties in 2008, 9, 10, 11. We kicked the can down the road on some of those properties where, yeah, we gave you a three-year bridge loan, but A, we actually need probably three more years from 2011 to 2014 to sort of dig out of the hole a little bit. But all those properties were servicing their debt, whereas a lot of the industrial or office or retail properties that we um, gave bridge loans to, uh, when your occupancy goes to 30% or 40% or 50%, you can't service the debt anymore. And on these large commercial properties, the borrower typically doesn't have the, um, another source of income to service them. And so uh, we took back a lot of those properties. So um, that's how I sort of set my investment philosophy um, starting in 2015. Yeah, you know, it's fantastic. And you're so right in the hotels. I mean, you even see from that front, it's, 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 it's such a tough space, right? Because if you're not targeted right in your location, um, you're constantly marketing every day is, is really just a new lease up, right? And so if you look at that from the capacity here, we, there were so many factors that just crushed that space, but it, it just even goes into retail, right? We have so much um, on retail where, where you, you give people that are aligned on, on a lot of traffic and if that's not there and also are getting replaced by so many um, different fighting sources that are outside their control, right? You know, everything from e-commerce, you know, internet, all these things that pushes the variable. So that's going to be really interesting. Are you seeing the the need in some places where I, I see uh, multifamily investors in, in some, in a small percentage, looking at uh, hotels as, as a source to find deals that they can convert because of the lack of inventory? Yeah, I mean, a great example, we were talking to an investor and essentially, um, you know, let's say in Austin or San Antonio, some of the markets that I play in, the, um, you know, a B or C deal is 100 a door, right? And he's essentially buying one of these extended stay hotels. And, you know, it's essentially on fire sale because it's been bleeding for the last 12 months. And the owner is just looking at the writing on the wall saying, how much longer am I going to hold on to this thing? And, um, you know, he's going to try to pick it up for 25 to 30,000 a unit. Wow. And he's going to go in, maybe spend five to 10,000 a unit. His all in basis is going to be 40 a door. And as long as the zoning works, as long as the parking works, as long as there's kitchens in there, as long as, you know, the corridors, it, you can make it look like a multifamily property with leasing and all that type of stuff. Then your basis is half of the guy next door. 
And so your rent can be 500 a unit instead of a thousand a unit. And that is super compelling right now. So I think uh, that is a play, whether you do that on hotels or even sort of reconfigure retail to self-storage. Um, I think there's, there's a lot of those sort of, um, I can't remember what the best conversions uh, are happening right now. No, I love that. And how are you, so 10,000 units you invested as, as a limited partner, how are you looking at opportunities today with uh, operators compared to maybe, you know, pre-COVID, right? So what, what are some of the key metrics or factors that, that are really important to you today, which maybe have always been important that are really shining right now? Yeah, I mean, um, to me, the, the first thing is always sort of in-place cash flow. And so I like to see maybe a five, six, seven percent cash on cash day one, and then um, you know trying to get that up to eight, nine, ten percent is probably my my first thing that I look at. I probably have a little bit more preference on market right now. Uh, we've seen where some markets have um, been hit a little bit harder with employment concentrations, so deals that maybe have an energy concentration or a uh, tourism concentration, those markets are a little bit heavier hit. So I'm looking at more diversified markets. Um, so I would say uh, cash flow day one, diversified markets. And then, you know, I don't, I, sometimes you get bored as a multifamily investor and all you look at is conventional deals. And, you know, probably in 18 and 19, I was going to start deviating more into, let's say some of the senior housing or student housing stuff. Um, but if you look at Fannie and Freddie, sort of their forbearance levels, uh, you know, there's a lot of, there's some issues in student and senior housing right now. And so I'm just going to stick to sort of bread and butter, conventional multifamily in, uh, I would say primary markets and that cash flow day one. And, you know, a lot of, a lot of people are, um, taking bridge loans right now. And as, as an LP, I'm not super excited about bridge loans. It puts a little bit more risk um, to the LP um, investor. And so, you know, I, I really like just Fannie and Freddie loans that have a five, seven, 10 year horizon. And if we hit another bump, I don't think we're going to hit another bump on COVID type of stuff. But if there is another bump, you have that time to sort of write it out. Yeah, yeah. Cash flow, reserves, long-term debt, right? A combination you can't beat on, on any front. When you're now looking from, from a lending side or, or even is, is the opportunity that a lot of investors are, are finding right now really um, being bolstered by, by just how attractive, um, of course, the debt options are starting to be? Yeah, I mean, um, you know, if you're willing to take the plunge in 2020, I mean, your interest rate was probably below three. On Fannie and Freddie. And so that is just fabulous. Um, you know, we've seen the 10 year treasury, the beginning of 2021, sort of run probably 30 or 40 basis points up. And um, that has sort of reset the mark. And so your rates now are probably 325 to 375, just depending on your prepayment structure and loan amount and leverage, things like that. And I mean, in Texas, we're seeing cap rates in the fours. Um, so you're four to 5% cap rate. So that margin between your debt and your cap rate is, is getting um, thin. And so we're seeing some people having to go uh, to higher leverage bridge loans if Fannie and Freddie are at 65% because it's hard to raise that much equity, especially on larger deals. You know, like if you're buying a $5 million deal, the difference, you know, in 10% of your leverage is not that much. 
but on a $20 million deal, that's a lot more, uh, you know, equity checks that have to be written. Yeah, it sure is. And right. And it just changes the narrative on the returns. Right. And so you're seeing that play in there and I'm seeing that uh, I'm sure you guys are too. Just the, the loan assumption market is just on fire. Right. So, so I, I think, you know, two of every three I see come over is, um, potential for someone to try and exit with, with but it, it requires a loan assumption, right? And um, we we closed on a, a Freddie Small balance in January, right? And if 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 I had uh, crystal ball and would see COVID, I, I would have structured a debt to right? Just because now the opportunity of where it's increased to, you know, in just a matter of uh, a year has just been unforeseen, right? So well, well above pro forma, which is fantastic, but we, we put on long term debt because it was intended as a long term hold, right? So. There, there's a lot of that now going forward where we'll, we'll see this, this, this game of play, right. Where, where the market is so um, hot, but a lot of, a lot of people are, are testing the market with their properties. And I'm sure you're seeing the same. Yeah. I mean, uh, we've, I mean, definitely, I would say nothing was put on the market sort of Q2 uh, of last year and then Q3 and Q4, it came roaring back. And the last that I saw, December of 2020, more multifamily sold than the previous like five or six years. So it was like $11 billion of multifamily or more than that. Um, so December was a hot month. So I think this first quarter of 2021, it's cooled down a little bit. There's not as much uh, because there's not an imminent, uh, you know, people didn't have as much uncertainty. And so people aren't as pushed to, to sell deals right now. And to be honest, I mean, in Texas, I mean, rents have essentially been flat the last year. And so mm-hmm. it, it's harder to sell um, that story of, you know, increasing rents. But um, I just saw a market report come out of RealPage um, this morning on DFW. And, you know, they're seeing essentially employment almost get back to sort of pre-COVID levels um, slowly but surely in a lot of Texas markets. And um, I think we're going to start opening up pretty quick here once everyone gets their vaccine. Yeah. And, and hope so. Right. Cause yeah, at this point we got to get people back working so they can have income. You just can't carry this narrative. And one of the strengths with multifamilies, you look at it um, not from a gloom and doom spot, but, but at some point, like these people have to live somewhere. Right. And, and we're, we're such a constraint. We're not coming out of 2017. We're just massive building. And we had that. Now we're into this part where um, there there's of course this deficit. Um, I just moved to Tennessee. Right. And they cannot build fast enough here. I, I do not see a house start without a sold sign in the ground. And it's been, it's been pretty, uh, we're South of Nashville. It's been, Pretty interesting. Been here three and a half months just to see that. Um, and on the other side, they, they have a, um, a moratorium on multifamily right now. They've actually reduced the zoning um, from, it was an RM16, 16 units an acre to nine because they're at um, a cap on their sewer capacity, right? And so they have this, um, this this perfect world here where they need so many units, but they can't put them, up, put them in, in because of the density, because of just overwhelming the sewer. So I, I, I'm curious to see where that goes. Has that drawn you to just based on that need to to are you seeing a a, a lot of traditionally um multifamily value add investors start to look at development options are you seeing that on your side we have and um you know it's it's a whole different animal right um you know as as i most multifamily investors value add multifamily investors are conditioned to invest the same way that i like to invest with you know in place cash flow, 
90% occupancy, long-term debt. Like all of that is different on construction. Uh, construction is you have a zero, 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 and then you get 150,000 back of your 100,000 investment yep. in three years, right? And so it's, it's just a different um, condition. I mean, the development deals that I've looked at here in Texas, the ones that are compelling to me are the ones that essentially um, they are, their cost, all-in cost is lower than what class A is trading at today. Mm -hmm. And so as long as, let me give you an example, if you can, if you're, if they're selling class A, let's say for 200 a door here, uh, that's already built and you can buy it with a Fannie Freddie loan right now. Uh, but then you can deliver product, let's say at 160, 170 a, a door all in, then that's compelling um, because you sort of are projecting probably a 225, 250 a door uh, per unit exit on your 175. So that that is compelling, um, but essentially your 50,000 or 75,000 essentially is going to sit there and earn no cash flow for three years and then um, you hope the market is there when you go to sell or um, you're going to have a construction loan that will be due. Yeah, absolutely agree. And that, that's, it's, it's complete to subsects of, of investors, right? So that, that investor is looking for day one cash flow is typically not that same person that's saying, you know, the cash flow is not important. I'm going to look at this from a, you know, a, a bigger bank for my buck, but it's all on the back end, right? Even, even for these plays. And we've, our investor set has always been on that, you know, we're, we're going into properties that, that may be even hundred percent occupied or just not maximizing the potential, right? But there is cash flow to begin with. Um, and we're not going to walk into a property where it's, you know, fire damage or 60% occupied, where it's going to take that narrative of, of a few years and even our reposition plan carries forth. So I completely see eye to eye on that. Are you as, Oak, or, I'm sorry, as old capital right now? I'm saying, I'm saying Oak Capital because that's a GP, uh, our GP LLC that we use a lot. So carrying the terms, the, as old capital today, are you finding that you're, you're seeing a, a, a very large influx of new investors come in based on all the money moving over from retail, over from office, over from um, all the different spaces that were hotel, of course, all that money is bringing new buyers really flooding the market right now? I don't, from my perspective, I haven't seen it from because we walk a lot of deals and we tour a lot of deals with buyers and it's more of the um, market shift of not necessarily changing asset type, it is market location. So we're seeing guys who used to buy in California and New York and Chicago, and now they are coming to Texas. And so when, we, when they come to town, um, they haven't closed anything in Dallas, let's say for example, but they own 2000 units in the Southeast or they own a uh, thousand units in Chicago. So these guys are experienced multifamily guys. It's just, they haven't bought in Texas before. And so in 2020, the number one market for multifamily was DFW. And that was a big change from previous years. You know, like usually the coastal markets in California or New York would have bigger numbers just from a sheer, you know, dollar per unit. I mean, median price in Dallas is let's say is, 130 a unit, right? Whereas median prices in California and New York are three or four times that, right? So uh, usually those other markets would compete, but just uh, the amount of capital coming to Dallas has, has led to a lot of sales in this market. 
Yeah. And, and I, I can completely understand that narrative. And so um, super appreciate your time. I got two last questions for you. Um, so if I was to give you the crystal ball in front of you as the professor, where, where do you see the next, um, I don't want to even go too far out, the next 18 to 36 months um, going with this, specifically with the multifamily market? I, th- I think you're going to see um, rent growth turn positive. Um, just with the amount of jobs coming back, the amount of reopening that we're going to have. Um, I think people are going to start getting on flights. People are going to start going to do their vacations like they normally would um, by the end of the year. Like we, we put on a you know 500 person in-person conference every year and we didn't do it last year, right? And so, but by September, October, I think it, people are going to be back. People are going to start wanting to get back out. So I think that's going to bode well for multifamily. I mean, we've seen collections still be at 94, 95% throughout this whole thing. And we've been locked down. And so I think the combination of the government stimulus at the beginning of the year um, and the combination of reopening a lot of these uh, businesses and the vaccines, that's going to drive a lot of growth. And I would say probably in the last year, year and a half, not many deals sort of got penciled to start developing. And so we've even seen a little bit of a slowdown in DFW in terms of the number of units coming online, let's say in 2022, 23. So that should give a little bit of relief to the class A side and the BNC stuff, I think just keeps running. I mean, um, you know, a lot of those deals, the rents are $1,000, $1,100. I mean, you just, you're not going to find rent that cheap anywhere else. And, you know, one thing that we haven't touched on is just single family has continued to run this whole time. I mean, I think in, in the Texas markets, we're seeing like one month of supply on the market. And so we're seeing single family prices, median price in Dallas now is over $300,000 for a single family house. And so some of these you know, B and C deals that everybody's like, I can't believe I'm paying a hundred a door for this thing. But the single family stuff, the cheapest single family house is $350,000 around the corner. And so, yeah, it's expensive. It's gotten expensive. Um, But I think there's still that affordability gap where somebody can't afford 20, 25% down. And if they had any sort of hiccups in their job, they might not be able to qualify for that single family house. So guess what? They're renting from age 20 to 35 now. That's amazing. That's amazing. And yeah, I, I, I love that viewpoint. I, I agree. And, and one, one part that I even had fully together is that, you know, we've had less shovels go on the ground, right? So that's going to give a little bit of uh, time for this class A really just you know, to set this mark before we see, start seeing that next part of development coming on board. James, this has been fantastic. I, I super appreciate you. Thank you so much for coming on the show. For everyone listening that wants to connect with you, connect with Old Capital, best way to, to reach out. Yeah, I mean, uh, a couple of ways. The first is if you go to oldcapitallending.com, that sort of has all of our stuff that we put out. Um, Old Capital Podcast is where we, we've been doing a podcast for about five years. We put out one a week. Um, you can go Google James Ng YouTube. There's a bunch of stuff there. And then, um, you know, if you have any questions on financing, you can definitely reach out to me. My email is uh, jeng at oldcapitallending.com. And that's probably the best way to reach me. That's amazing. James, thanks so much for being on the show. Super appreciate your time. All right. Thanks a lot, Jason.
All right. And for everyone listening, thank you so much. Of course, if you like what you hear, go down and hit that subscribe button. Share this with someone who can definitely get a better understanding of what's happening from the professor's side on the multifamily world. Thank you so much. We'll talk to you soon. Want to learn exactly how we're finding high profit, cash flow ready multifamily properties off market? Want to find out how to run lightning fast syndications to raise all the capital you need for your next multi million dollar deal? In just a few days, we are breaking down our entire process step by step at a three day event happening June 10th through the 12th called, you guessed it, Multifamily Live. We've done events before, but nothing this massive or this valuable. And for the first time ever, we're going to open the doors and walk you guys through literally every step of what we're doing on our multifamily deals. This is a virtual event, so you don't have to travel or even leave your couch, but spots are limited. Sign up at multifamilyliveevent.com and we'll see you there.